everyone, welcome to the series called The Talk of the Table, where we're getting away from small talk and we're getting to the meat of the matter. Real, powerful conversations that can change your world. In this episode, we're gonna talk about how you can share your faith with other people or how you can understand faith in a deeper way. We hope that this talk will have an impact on you. I wanna invite you to stay to the end where I have some more information for you. And before you log off, don't forget to go to branchlife.church to fill out your connection card. We'd love to connect with you. Thanks for joining us today. Enjoy this episode. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Branch Life, and it is my privilege to continue our discussion called The Talk of the Table. I just want to also put a plug in for what Brooke mentioned, and how about Chloe just bringing a little sunshine to all of our mornings every time she's up here? It just makes me smile, and uh, so guys, thank you for welcoming us today. Uh, We are getting together tonight as a church, and it is an important moment in the life of the church. We're really turning a chapter, and we're really excited to talk about what we think God is doing and what's unfolding as we continue to work to build the kingdom together. Uh, We're talking about what's going to be changing immediately in the fall, starting in September. September 10th is a big day for us. It's our fall kickoff, and and that's the day we're going to be focusing on in the short term. But we're also talking about what's going to happen two years from now, three years from now, five years from now. And we want to dream a little bit. We're going to worship tonight, and we're also going to do the most important thing. We're going to pray first. We think this is the way God is taking us, but he may have a different idea, and we want to make sure that we are following the leader of this church, and that's Jesus Christ. And so we want to gather together to do that. So please, if you can, be here tonight at 630. Uh, It's not something we're able to live stream, but we will send out the information in an email after the service tonight. Uh, One of the things that, that practically comes up in the fall is everybody's beginning kind of a new rhythm And one of the things that we want to include in everybody's rhythm who's a part of Branch Life is the opportunity to use your gifts and talents for the for the building of the kingdom. How are you serving? How can you serve? And we are we have lots of opportunities, lots of places where you guys can plug in in different ways. Last week we shouted out the tech team and we said that we need four to five more techs to help Todd Father, right? With the soundboard and the computer and the live stream. And we still are looking for some of those techs. Uh, I, I also know that there is a need down at the cafe for people to come and be a part of putting that cafe together, helping us take the cafe to the next step. Wouldn't it be amazing if that cafe was open seven days a week to the community? Something like that. But hey, just on Sundays, making sure everything's out and welcoming, uh, as well as with our kids. There's lots and lots of ways and places to serve. Would you be praying about how you could serve? As often as you can. It may be once a month, once a quarter, or it could be every week or every other week. How could you serve? And maybe God wants to do something in you that he's never done before. And being a part of one of these teams is super, a super privilege and a super blessing, and you won't regret making that step. Let's jump into our Table Talk series as we are going. I'm going to be, we're going to end up in John chapter 13, but there's going to be a couple places we go before we get there. So if you want to lock and load that, you certainly are welcome to. Uh, we're talking about our Table Talk. So talk of the table, talking about faith. And we have set as a goal for Branch Life 100 Table Talks. 
And that's 100 intentional conversations about faith, whether it's over texting, whether it's over coffee, whether it's at your house, over a meal. We, my wife and I got together with two couples in our neighborhood. We had an incredible dinner together, an awesome table talk. We tried to have it at our house. It got punted to their house, so we invited ourselves over to someone's house. Ended up talking about faith. It was awesome. It was an ex exciting, exciting night. I'll tell you more about that in a second, but we hope that that's what's happening all around Branch, that you're having these regular conversations. So if you've had a conversation in the last week, or if you've had one since we started last month and this month, and you haven't yet told us about it, please tell us on the connection card. Say, I had a table talk, add it to the, the account. Tell us your story. We're praying over those people. Tell us first names. We're praying over those names, those conversations. And this table talk is, is the follow-up to the book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles, the building of the church. Well, how do you build the church? We are as witnesses, and we're going to be as witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. That's us here now today, and we're on the mission that God put us on, and it's an exciting privilege and honor to be able to share the faith and the hope and the love that we have from God with others. Amen? So we will not be silent, right? We will not be scared. We will step out in faith and show intentional hospitality, open our lives, open our homes, open our hearts, and use our words to show people Jesus. Now, our goal is that by September 10th, at September 10th, we should have a, 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 be around the 100 number. And so we're halfway there, right? We're close to halfway. As of last Sunday, this Sunday marks halfway. So if we get several more, we'll be at exactly 50. As of last Sunday, there have been 44 table talks that we know of. Praise God. That, that's what he has asked us to do. God has not asked us to save people. He's not asked us to be the saviors of the world. He has just asked us to spread the news and to tell people about Jesus. And at least 44 times, somebody heard about Christ through one of us. That is something to celebrate. Six more in a week gets us to 50, and we're halfway home. So if you haven't told us yet where you're at, let us know. If you had one of those table talks, we're going to put that. The one that I had, we haven't marked that yet, so that would bring it up to at least 45, and we're going to keep talking about this number as we get closer and closer to September 10th. And maybe you, maybe you just haven't taken that step yet. Let's go. I believe, man, it's God's going to use it in your life, and he's going to use it in the journey of someone else as they are traveling towards and through faith. In our series, we've talked about how to have the conversation about faith. Last week, we talked about the agenda. What's the plan? What, what's, why are you having these table talks? We're not ashamed of our agenda. We're excited to tell people about God, and so that's something we're proud of, and we let people know. It shouldn't be a surprise by the way we live, the way we speak, and according to our invitation. This week, I want to talk about you as the host. And the Bible is very clear about who we are in Christ and, and why do we have this privilege to be the host? What it is about me that when we're having these table talks, I need to remember. Next week, we're going to talk about the guest. But today, we're focusing on four truths the host cannot forget. There's four truths that you cannot forget. And I hope that these truths will be encouraging, encouraging to you. But they will also inform how you host how you receive people, how you speak, how you understand, and, and uh, begin using your lives, your word, uh, your, your stuff for the building of the kingdom. 
Let's pray over this this morning. God, as we enter into this discussion today and we learn a little bit more about ourselves and who we are in Christ, God, would you help that transform our interactions with others? And may we be who you have designed us to be in this world. In your precious name we pray, amen. All right, so four truths about the host that you cannot forget. Truth number one, let's just jump right into it. We are, the hosts are, God's representatives. We are God's representatives. You have been designed by God with a purpose in a particular way to represent God on earth. We are his representatives. We understand this in politics. We have congressmen who represent us in government. That happens. We understand this in um, sports. We have Olympians that travel to the Olympics to represent their country in that sport. And so when someone acts in a good way, it reflects well on our country. When a congressman makes good leadership decisions, it reflects well on his district. And we as kids represent our family name. And when you act well and bring a good reputation to your family name, that's a positive representation that we have in this world. As children of God, I am a child of God. As someone who has been adopted by the king, right? I am a prince or princess connected to God, the king of the world, the creator of the world. My role, my position is now to act as one of those representatives. I am representing Christ. In Genesis chapter 1, a powerful, excuse me, yeah, Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, a powerful truth is shared right off at the beginning of the Bible, and it says this, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him. Male and female created them. What a, what a we could spend a whole series on talking about what it means to be made in the image of God, but here's, here's the bottom line of this. Men and women, the human race, is the only race, is the only part of creation that has been made in the image of God. I had a very important pastoral question asked to me this week. Someone, you know how this happens, well, you know, this happens to me all the time. So you're a pastor, right? And then I know something's coming, and there, there's a question, right? There's something's going to happen. Now, you're a pastor. I want to ask you this question. And, and uh, yes, I'm a pastor, right? And, and so this fellow, he asked me, he goes, I don't know how to ask this. Is it kind of weird? Like, I don't know. What? Okay, so if there's aliens, does that change my faith, right? And that was the question. And if there's aliens out there, does that change my faith? Let, let, let me tell you what I said. I said, men and women, human beings, are the only thing in all of creation that has been created in the image of God. We are created in the image of God. We have a special position in all of creation to represent God. And we are uniquely designed to do that. My golden retriever can't do that. My bearded dragon, who is still alive, can't do that. My truck can't do that. The, the birds on the lake outside of my house can't do that. But I can. 
Because I have been created in the image of God. Every male and every female has been created in the image of God. You have a part of you that marks you unique, is marking you uniquely by God. So even those people that are lost, even those people that don't know God, who are still created in the image of God, have the ability to represent God in some ways. That's why unsaved people, secular people, can create great music. That's why, that's why unsaved people, secular people, can create great art. There's beauty that can be found that uniquely comes from us. That's why there is a, a display of love in this world that can come from anyone, anywhere. Kindness can present itself from anyone, from anywhere. All of us have these markers that are unique to us as humans because we all have been made in the image of God. We are God's image bearers. That's God's design. That's how God designed mankind, Adam and Eve. He designed us to be in the image of God, to have perfect communion to God, with God, and to represent God, to have this emotion, to have the character, to have the, the wisdom, to have the mind, to have all that God is. That was the design. But we all know that the design broke. And we don't represent God well anymore. And God's working to solve that problem. In John, 1 John chapter 4, we learn a little bit more about God as love, and we just sang the perfect song to, to bring home this point. In John chapter 4, who is God, what is God, what's the image of God? Well, it says this, God is, what's that word? Love. God is love. Why is love so important? There's faith, hope, and love, and the, the, the greatest of these is what? Love. People love love, amen? Right? People pursue love with their lives. They, yawn, they long for it. The country singers write epic songs about it, right? We love love. Like, love is amazing. Love is awesome. When you, when you get this thing called love, now listen, teenagers, let me give you a pro tip. Stop telling your boyfriend or girlfriend you love them. That's no bueno, senor. You don't want, you don't want to be throwing out this word love wheelie-neely, Right? Like, I love you. Now we're breaking up. What was that? What kind of love is that, right? That's not love. What, what is love? Love is something that we grow into. Love is the perfect reflection of who God is. Love is deep. Love is powerful. Love is true. Love is so much more than a feeling. Love is so much more than although it's defined as a choice. Love is God. And God is love. And so when we participate uniquely as humans in the ability to love one another, we are connecting ourselves to the image of who God is. God is love. In this love of God who was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son in the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to, the, to be the propitiation, the replacement for our sins. Beloved, those that are loved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one, underline this in your Bibles, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. My love for others should be a reflection of who God is to this world. For some people, the only God they will ever know is the God they see in you. And if someone would take your life and say, how do you represent God with the way you love others? 
Would you be proud of how you are displaying the love of God? Or would you be ashamed? You know, love is, is perfect, not in the way we love, but in the way that we have been loved. And God loved you so much that he gave himself for you. So here is my definition of the love of God. It is unconditional and it is self-sacrificial. The love of God is unconditional. There is nothing that I can do to separate myself from the love of God. There's no mountain high enough. There's no river low enough. Someone should write a song like that, right? That could separate me from the love of God. It can't happen. And God's love is unconditional. No matter what I've done, no matter where I've been, God's love for me is unconditional. And when he says, husbands, love your wives as I have loved the church, he is saying that you should love her unconditionally. You can't just throw her away. You can't just kick her out. That's not how God's love works. And so we love because God has loved us unconditionally. God lo God's love is self-sacrificial. In other words, God is not loving us because he gets something from it. God is loving us because he is giving. And when we love, we sacrifice ourselves for the other person. That's why the perfect marriage is a battle between a husband and wife who are in a competition to see who can give the other more. What can I do to give you more? What can I do to give you more? Not get from you, make me happy, make me comfortable, make me laugh. No, I want to help you become happier. I want to help you become more comfortable. I want to make you laugh. I want to give of myself so that you can have what you need. And that is the perfect marriage. Why? Because that's the love that God talks about. Unconditional and self-sacrificial. Now, when you love in this way, you are reflecting the image of God. Why? You as the host are the representative of God. We've said this the last couple of weeks, but John Maxwell says it very clearly. The message that I live is the message that I give. The message that I give is the message that I live. And I can use words all day of the week. I can come up to my friend and say, listen, God's design is perfect. Sin broke this world. Uh, we must repent and believe in the gospel that God sent his only son to die for us so that we could have his righteousness credit our account. And we must repent and believe. And then, then and only then, can we pursue a, a right relationship with God. I can say that over and over and over again. But if I just got done cursing out my neighbor, my words don't matter. If I just lost my temper, if I just, if I just had a Facebook explosion, then what, what is that? I can't give a message that I don't live. And God said, you are a representative of God, therefore the way that you love should represent me. So here's, here's the question, host, do you live the message that God is love? Do you live the message that God is love? Does your word say God loves you and so do I? Does, does, your, does your posts on, on social media say God loves you? and so do I. Does your life say, God loves you, and so do I? Does your home say, God loves you, and so do I? The message that you give should be unmistakable to this world, that God is love. And because God loves you, because God gave his only son for you, the least I can do is unconditionally and self-sacrificially love you as well. So why do you love your neighbor? 
Why do you love the unlovable? Why do you reach out in kindness when people are hurting? Why do any of those things? In the rat race of humanity, self-promotion is the grandest thing if there is no God. But when God is love, I give of myself unconditionally to other people. Why? Because they were also made in the image of God. Because they are loved by God. So as a host, our mission is to communicate with our lives and our words that God loves you and so do I. And maybe you haven't consistently lived that. Maybe you haven't consistently posted that. Maybe your children haven't heard that. Maybe your family members don't see that in you. Maybe your neighbors like big fences for a reason. And maybe that means today you need to start saying and living, God loves you and so do I. God loves you and so do I. And so it's going to change the way they act. When you open your home intentionally to serve a meal, to meet a need, to show the love of God, you are simply saying, God loves you and so do I. So go all out. Have a great evening together. Get, get together with people. Sacrifice your time, energy, effort, food, and money so that you can be hospitable. Why? So that you can say, God loves you and so do I. That's what every host needs to remember. We're representing God. Number two, we all need to remember this. We are all sinners. Every single one of us is a dirty, rotten sinner. Amen? We don't really spend a lot of time talking about this because, well, we know it, right? There's not really a lot of people that need to be convinced that in the deepest, darkest recess of their minds, they think some pretty bad thoughts. There's not a lot of people that have to be convinced that somewhere, some way along the line, they made some really stupid, bad, selfish choices that resulted in some really stupid, bad consequences. We don't need to go very far to look in the wake of our lives and see a disaster of relationships that have come behind us. Why? Because we're sinners, right? We do things that are sinful. However, we are also forgetful. Some of us more than others. Now, I, 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 I have a form of dyslexia, and the way that it interrupts my life is it. I have a problem with memorization. I'm not very good at it. So if you throw a word at me that, for me, I have a mental block with, and there's a lot of them out there, I just can't spell it. I don't know how many times you, I have to try. It just doesn't happen. So like the one word that comes to mind for me is the word future. Like, if I tried to write future on the board, like, I would mess that, I would spell it seven different, is there a T, is there a CH, is there a U, is there R's, I don't know. Like, it's in there somewhere, and it's in here somewhere, but I can't get that to connect. And it, when I was a youth pastor, there were, um, there were several sets of three girls that were a part of our youth group, three siblings, and for whatever reason, we had five or six family that all had three girls. And so, I... In my mind, I worked to try to remember these three girls' names, but there were so many sets of three girls that one particular family, I just had this mental block, and for everything inside of me, I couldn't remember their names. Here's the problem. They came to youth group and Bible study every week. All three of them. For years. I'm not talking about like this was a couple weeks of awkwardness. This was years of, hey, buddy, hey, you, what's up, boss, how's life going? Like, couldn't get there. Jenny, Jenny knew who they were. She would whisper in my ear. I'd have it for a couple seconds. It'd be gone again. And to this day, I can't tell you their names. Can't do it. I know what they look like. I know what their jobs are. I know who they've married. But I, I got nothing when it comes to their names. I forget that. It doesn't stay in my mind. Now, here's what a lot of us are guilty of doing when we become saved. We forget that we're sinners. We forget that we're sinners. 
and we easily allow that truth to slip. Let's remind ourselves of the biblical truth. Romans 5, 12, and 13. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, thanks Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned, right? So sin and the, the nature of sinfulness is something that we are all born with. You don't earn it. You just got it. And you are a sinner from birth. Everybody who's ever raised a child said, amen. I don't remember teaching my kid to lie, but man, they get good at it quick, right? We're born sinners. And so it's, it's a part of human nature. It's a part of the brokenness in this world. John 3, 3, 6, 3, 3, 6, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's why born again is such a powerful term. Because the first time we were born, we were born sinners. So in order to fix the sin problem, we must be born again. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, in other words, born of human and then born of God, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, right? Sin cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. When we are born in our sin nature, we're born with this fleshly nature to sin. We run towards it. We are naturally drawn to it. We have to defend against it. We have to fight it. We need to get victory over it. It's a part of our flesh. And God said, that is a hopeless battle unless you are born again. That which is born of the spirit is then spirit. How do I become born again? You accept Jesus as your personal savior. You become a follower of Jesus. You stop depending on yourself to fix your sin problem, and you start depending on God. That's salvation. He saves me from my sin, and my sin is a problem, and we all got it. Now, once I have been saved, we've talked about this, we're not perfect, we still sin. Not that we lose our salvation, but we lose our connection to God. It comes in between me and God. My kid is always going to be my kid, and if he lies, now we have something between us. We got to resolve that, and that's what sin does between me and God. And when we forget we are sinners, it leads to a lot of problems, and a lot of us Christians think that we are better than other people because we somehow became better than them when we got saved. We somehow became more righteous than them. We somehow became more popular than them. We somehow became uh, God's favorite. We somehow have become elevated. And in our own minds, we forget that we're sinners. And when we forget that we're sinners, it leads to some really horrible things. It leads to self-righteousness. I'm fine, you're not, right? Let me tell you how to live. I am, I am more righteous because of how awesome I am right? Self-righteousness, lack of humility, all of a sudden that pride thing starts creeping in, loss of compassion. Well, if they would have made those choices, that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> Not something I would have done. Legalism. You got to do it right like I'm doing it right, because I am doing it right, and I do it right most of the time, and when you don't do it right, well, that makes you awful. Legalism. Christian isolation. I'm not going to associate myself with you because you are somehow dirty and I am somehow clean. 
So now, therefore, I'm going to separate the dirty from the clean, and I'm going to stay away from you, and I'm going to build my own world where you're not in it. Christian isolationism. Stagnation of spiritual growth. All of a sudden, because I forgot I'm a sinner, I don't really need God anymore. I don't need to worship. I'm pretty good. I got my own thing figured out. I can take my weekends. I don't need to serve. Like, I don't need to, I, I don't need to pray as much. Like, I'm pretty holy now, right? And we, we stop growing because we stop feeling like we need to grow. When we forget we're sinners, we become quick to judge, and then it becomes hard to forgive. And man, are Christians guilty of being forgetful that we're sinners too. Now, when we remember we're sinners, not in a self, in a self, uh, in a self, uh, humiliating kind of way, but in just understanding the truth, then everything switch. Benefits of remembering my sinfulness, well, well, then I become selfless. It's less about myself. Instead of becoming self-righteous, I become selfless. I become humble in spirit. God, I am poor in spirit. Forgive me for my sins. I am so sorry. We have extra compassion. Yes, you made that horrible choice, but by God's grace, so could I. We have we become grace-filled because we see grace filling our lives. We now pour it out on other people. We have Christian integration. I'm supposed to be salt. I'm supposed to be light. This world is dark, and so was I. I can bring some light to this world. We're supposed to have an extra spiritual growth. We lean into our spiritual growth. We have an ability to say, God, I can't do this myself. I need you to do it with me. It becomes then hard for us to judge and easy for us to forgive. When we just remember that we are sinners too. You look at that famous passage, right, in Scripture where they talk about the, 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 the Christian seeing the speck in the sinner's eye. And what's the problem when we are focusing on specks in, Christian, in other people's eyes? Well, we often have a plank in ours. They have a splinter and we have a plank. They have a tiny sliver of a mistake that they've made, and we're walking around with this giant sinfulness in our eyes. And, and it's be careful that you judge someone else because of the amount of sin that you have in your life, right? Now, if, if I'm a Christian and I realize that I am full of planks, that I've got all kinds of stuff in my life that I'm working on, that I'm dealing with, that I'm trying to get right with God, well, then it should be very difficult for me to spot specks. Christians should be terrible at spotting specs. But aren't we so good at it? Can I just look across the table at my guest and I can say every word that they shouldn't have said? Every, every story that they told, every, every kind of off-color joke that they made, every kind of like decision in the way that they parented their kids around the table, and I start judging that, right? And I start saying, hey, I, you're, doing, you're doing that wrong. I don't like it. Now I'm uncomfortable, and I wish this wasn't happening. And we become like professional speck hunters as Christians. And we start letting the world know about their specs. And we start yelling about specs on Facebook. And we start pushing neighbors and friends and family members away. Why? Because they keep making these bad choices. They keep having specs in their lives. And when, when you really remember how sinful you are personally before God and how much he had to do to cleanse you of your sin, you should be really bad at spotting specs. It shouldn't be good for you. Why? You're too busy taking care of your own problems and your own sin. And you have been covered by grace, and so now you have the opportunity to cover with grace. Mother Teresa says it like this. She didn't get everything right, but she got this right. If you judge people, you have no time to love them. 
If you judge people, you have no time to love them. And some of us are making judgments about who we share Christ with. Yes, I'll have that person over, but not that one. Yes, I'll, I'll spend time here, but not over there. Yes, I like them, but no, I don't get along with them. Why? Because we've judged. We've found specks. When we remember that we're sinners, we can equally cover grace, people with grace. And we don't have to hunt for specks in our conversations. People, unsaved people are going to act like they're unsaved. Get over it. <laughs> they don't know God. They have no reason to live a biblical lifestyle. They have no reason to change their thoughts, their attitudes, their affections. They don't know Jesus. And so when unsaved people act like unsaved people, we just fill that with grace. We fill it with unconditional love. We sacrifice ourselves. And we, we are, make, should make it hard to judge and easy to forgive. Why? Because I'm a sinner too. And oh, but for God's grace, so would I. The third thing we need to remember is then this. We have been saved by grace. Amen? We have been saved by grace. Though you are a great sinner and so am I. Though I fail all the time at judging people, though I fall down on my face, though I've had a past, though, though my life is not worth anything but dirty rags, by the grace of God, we have been saved. Ephesians chapter 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace, through faith. Salvation comes by grace, through faith. I don't deserve it, but I believe in it, so I get it. It's not mine to earn, but God gives it freely as soon as I open my heart to him and I am covered then by the grace of God. Have you put your faith in Jesus and received the grace of God that comes to you? And God has taken you, Christian, and he has taken all of your sins and he has covered them in his perfect love. He has separated us as the east is from the west he's taken jesus's righteousness and he's credited it to you so that now you can be perfect in the eyes of god and you can become a part of the family of god and you can live forever with god that's grace something that i don't deserve for by grace you've been saved through faith it's not your own doing it is the gift of god not of works because so nobody can boast for we are his workmanship created in Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. You have been saved by grace and nothing else. Have you been depending on your works? Have you been de depending on a prayer? Have you been depending on a baptism? Have you been depending on a religion? Have you been depending on family, history, for salvation? Stop. Depend on Christ and Christ alone. Put your faith in him. And now here's what we need to remember as hosts, as people saved by grace. We need to remember often the moment grace saved us. We need to remember often the moment grace saved us. When is that moment? The moment you were born again. The moment that you had that second birth or your second birthday. The moment that you chose to believe and follow Jesus. Salvation is not something that happens accidentally. Salvation is something that happens intentionally in our lives when we make a decision to choose to follow Jesus, I am choosing salvation by grace. I am choosing to become a follower of Jesus. Have you watched the Jesus Revolution movie yet? If you haven't, you need to. It's a true story about the Jesus movement that, that started uh, back in the uh, 70s, I believe. And Greg Laurie, who's a pastor in California now, 
tells his story of salvation, and he was, he was deep into the hippie movement. He was hanging out with people that were doing drugs and all that kind of stuff. He ended up meeting someone who gave the message of the gospel to him. And in that movie, he travels down to Pirate Cove. He's with the girl that he likes, and sometimes girls can lead us to Jesus, right? He's there, and they're talking about salvation. They're talking about God. They're talking about faith. And should they accept Jesus? Should they get baptized? And they're standing there on the corner, and she says, I believe. And she goes out, and she gets baptized. And then he walks out, and he, he comes to the person, right, that's been telling him about Christ. And he says, do you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone? And in the water, standing there, he says, yes, I do. He confessed his sin. He believed Jesus in his heart. And in that very moment, he then got baptized. And the movie does a great job just slow motioning the moment of salvation, the moment of baptism after he was saved, and how he, you go down, right, representing your death, and you come up new again in Jesus. Buried and then new life. The old me is gone, and now I'm new. That's the moment. That's the moment you should remember. That's the moment you should thank God for. That's the moment you should tell people stories about. That's the moment you should, you should, you should highlight in your, in your lives. That's the, the testimony that you are a witness of. And we should remember that I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was dead, but now, now I'm alive. I once was a sinner, but now the righteousness of God has covered my sin. And we worship and we pray, and we pursue, and we rest in God from that moment on. I don't deserve it. I cannot earn it. But God gave it to me anyway. Why? God is love. And then we sing this song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind. Now I see. I am just a sinner saved by grace. Have you been saved? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Are you able to talk about that moment? And Maybe today it's your moment. Maybe today this is the time where you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus. You can go to the gospel tab and investigate it further. Or right now, right now, you can in your heart bow your mind to Christ and have this conversation and say, Jesus, I'm ready. I repent of my sin. I believe that Jesus came and was God. He died on the cross and rose again for me. And I want to accept the free gift of salvation. I want to become a follower of Jesus. You can take care of it right now. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. I'm just a sinner saved by grace trying to represent Jesus in this world. And the fourth and final thing we need to remember is we are to be known by our love. We are to be known by our love. So if you have John 13 open, this is where you should do, do some underlining. In John chapter 13, let me, let me read for you all of verses 31 through 35. John chapter 13, verse 31 through 35, <clears throat> simply says this. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now, excuse me, when he had gone out, and that is Judas. When Judas betrayed Jesus in the upper room, when he left, when Judas left, Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him once. So remember, if God says a word once or twice in the same verse, it's important he said glorify like a billion times in that one verse. It's important. 
He's talking about how God will be displayed, how God will be glorified. Even after the betrayal, verse 33, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also will say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus is basically saying, I'm about to die. I'm going to go. It's not for you to follow. So he's saying to his disciples, listen, something's happening, and everything's going to change. So a new command I give to you. This is the command that I'm giving you. Once I'm gone, you need to follow this. A new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what does Jesus do? He says, God's going to be glorified. He's going to get the glory. He's going to get the praise. He's going to get the light. How's he going to do that? By the way that you love. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. You will show God by the way you love one another. God has connected glorifying the heavenly father with the ability, the God-given ability to love. It should be our trademark. When people look at us, they should say, I don't know if I believe what they believe, but I know they love me. That should be the number one message that is displayed with our lives, with our words, with our homes, with our stuff, with our Facebook posts, that we love God, we love because God has loved us, that we love each other well, that we pursue each other, that we run after each other, that we love our neighbors as ourselves. We just happen to believe that when God said, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, he meant it. And so at Branch Life Church, our pursuit is to be a church that loves our neighbors well. Our our hope, our guide, our vision, what we're going to talk about tonight is how can we better love the people around us? How can we better love one another? We want to be a church that displays that in every way. We want to be a church that has that reputation. We want to be a church that if we were gone, our neighbors would miss us. And so our prayer is that God would take us further into loving others in the name of Jesus. And I, I can't wait to see how that's going to happen. I was listening to this, a story of a church in Billings, Montana. Billings, Montana. This church started in a school auditorium. They were the first church to ever use a school auditorium in Billings, Montana. They talked the school board and the principal into letting them do this, and this is what they said. If you let us meet in your church, if you let us, ha- or let us our church meet in your auditorium, we will bless this school. And so they spent the next few years building out equipment, meeting in the auditorium, the in the meantime, the school lost its contract with the landscapers, and so the church took care of the landscape. The sound equipment in the church's auditorium broke, so the church brought all new sound equipment and just let the, let the school use it. They, they cared for teachers and students that were dealing with loss and hardship. And that principal who wasn't saved heard that the, school, the church was trying to expand in the next town, and they were going to start meeting in an auditorium in the next town. And he wrote a letter of recommendation to another principal in another town. He said, as a secular man, the best decision, administrative decision I've ever made guiding my school was letting this church use our auditorium. What a blessing. That same church began building inroads into their communities, and they found that the community had been separated by geography, by race, by all kinds of different things. 
And what they needed was a community spot. And so the, the, the town of Billings, Montana had no swimming pool, had no water park. And so they were going to raise money for a new building, but instead they pivoted and they started raising money for a water park that they could give to their community. And they opened a $5 million water park. The community uh, officials ended up giving them the property to build the park on. And to this day, they run it as a community service. And it, 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 it clears expenses every year, and it's a huge blessing to their entire communion. Why would a church build a water park? Because they love their neighbors. And then during COVID, they realized that, yes, they were having a connection problem, but there was also a mental crisis problem. And so this church leaned all in into going after mental health and wellness. And so they started a community counseling center. And they brought in counselors, and they got their certificates, and, and they began opening their doors, this community center, to teenagers that were struggling with anxiety, depression, to couples whose marriages were falling apart. To, and they, they, didn't, they, didn't, they accepted everybody no matter how much money they could pay. Why would they do that? Because they love their neighbor. I don't know what God has for us at Branch Life Church, but our vision is not to just host worship services, although we want to do that really well. Our vision is to reach into our community that if something would happen, I don't know, like a rapture, and we'd all be gone, our neighbors would go, I miss Branch Life. And your goal as a host is if that God would call you to move out of your house, to leave your job, to go to a different school, that your neighbors would say, I miss that family. I miss my neighbors. I miss my classmate. Why? They loved me. They loved me. And that is the message of the gospel. You see, as a host, we are just representing that God designed it one way. Sin broke it. And that don't pursue the worldly answers to brokenness, but repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus came and died and rose again. And then we recover and pursue God's design. It's simply me applying this to my life. We are made in the image of God, but we are sinners. We are saved by grace, and we should be known by our loves. Followers of Jesus should love like Jesus. Followers of Jesus should love like Jesus. Our friends should know, no matter how the talk goes, that they will be dearly loved. And so if someone comes in and they hear the faith conversations, would you, would you be able to, even if they reject it, at the end of the day say, that was a great night. My friends loved me. That's our goal when we host these tables, is to shower them with unconditional, self-sacrificial love. So when you host... Love like Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, Heavenly Father, our hearts are filled with gratitude at your grace and your love towards us. Help us never to forget all that we have been forgiven of. Help us never to minimize your love and grace in our lives. And help it to overflow into the lives of others. God, would we be guilty of loving you and loving our neighbors radically, unconditionally, self-sacrificially in your pressure. Hey guys, thanks for listening through that conversation today. And my prayer is that you'll be able to have powerful conversations in the days and weeks ahead where you can share your faith and see others come to faith. If that happens and someone comes to Christ because of your table talk, would you let us know? The best way you can do that is filling out your connection card anytime online at branchlife.church. We're there 24-7 and we would love to hear how God is using this series in your life. 
Don't forget to join us next time as we continue to have more conversation around the talk of the table.